second person of the Trinity, who humbled himself in the form of a servant and came to earth, living among us, calling us to repentance, taking our sins on himself, dying for us, and rising again. What does it mean to be grounded in that person? Each episode, series on living a life grounded in Christ, I recommend you go back and listen to those last few episodes before you tackle this one. If you have been keeping up with everything, well, then let's consider what it means to breathe together. When I originally set out to create this particular series, this episode, this idea wasn't really on my mind, but it's been a natural outgrowth of the formerly two-part series of breathing in and breathing out God's word. But I think it's important to remember that coming together as the body of Christ and doing things corporately as a community is equally as important as those things that we do on our own. If you read the Bible daily, if you, if, if I pray constantly, but you never really find yourself darkening the doors of a church or actively engaging in a fellowship of believers in a local congregation that you're a part of, you're missing out on a major part of being the body of Christ. You know, a quick side note, arguably in a whole different conversation, you know, never going to church at all uh, makes the case that you're really not a part of the body of Christ. You're functionally like a vestigial organ, something that, you know, has no real purpose anymore. You, you haven't been a part of a body of Christ. You're, you're not being obedient to Christ's words, to the words of the apostles, to the words of scripture. But uh, I really didn't want to comment much more than just to sort of throw that difficult word out there. And maybe later we can come back to a different, uh, episode just talking about the importance of going to church and being a part of a church. But, you know, back out of the side note now, ancient cultures, especially those in the Near East, uh, Israel, Canaan, etc., lean more towards a community sense of experience rather than just a more individualistic living um, like we see today. Sometimes it's called atomistic, you know, like single atoms. They had a very different way of living. In fact, you see it somewhat even in the Eastern Orthodox Church as compared to a more, the more Western uh, church that was the Catholic Church and then became the Protestant Church as well. Consider how in the Old Testament, when a leader would address, quote-unquote, the people, they would speak with one voice in Scripture. I seriously doubt that the takeaway we're supposed to have is that in ancient cultures, the communities were really good at synchronizing their speech for big gatherings, you know, bound to happen. 
I think instead, this points towards this community-driven culture that they lived in. In the New Testament, the church, in Greek, literally means called out ones. Note the innate plural concept of the church. We are all members of the church, and by being members of the church, we are members of Christ's body. To say that you believe in Christ for salvation, that reading the Bible is important, that praying is, ne- is necessary, but you never really commune with believers, and fellowshipping with your local church or partaking in the Lord's Supper, you know, while technically faith alone is necessary for salvation, faith apart from obedience builds a very shoddy and rickety house. This house will be tried by fire, and it will be found wanting. As we read uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.15. Consider the challenge in James, to show your faith through works. Or John's challenge in his first letter, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's 1 John 3.18. So with all this in mind, let's consider a couple of important things about breathing together. And let me quickly remind us all that breathing is just my quick term for breathing in God's word through daily or through Bible study and Bible reading and breathing out God's word through constant prayer. We breathe together by applying these two things to our time together. I'm going to focus specifically on worship and fellowship. So worship, let's consider worship. In the Reformed tradition, which I've grown up in and studied in, Worship is more than just a sermon, you know, some songs, a Bible reading. Worship is also the offertory, the offering of tithe. Worship is corporate prayers. Worship is psalms sung together. Worship might be a baptism or the Lord's Supper in that particular service. And the goal is that worship then spills out into our lives. Worship is seen in how we treat others throughout the week, remembering that everyone is made in God's image. They are all image bearers of God. But, you know, let's focus our time specifically looking at uh, time together as the church on Sundays. Worship on Sundays in my church consists of prayers, hymns, and the expositing or the preaching and explanation of the Word of God. We pray a prayer of confession silently alone and then corporately out loud. We pray this prayer because it is important to remember our salvation in Christ is from our sins. And while we are on this side of eternity, we will continue to fight with our sinful flesh. We must confess our sins or to say the same thing of them that God does. We need to reject them and we need to seek to flee from them. And what better way or time than corporately on the Lord's day? We have a pastoral prayer, too, where an elder of the church lists the congregation, the city, the nation, individual people in prayer to a God who hears us and has ordained that our prayers are a means to his will being worked out. We sing. We sing the hymns of our forebears, our forefathers, those who came before us. We sing songs that are rich with the truth of Scripture. We do sing hymns which are often accompanied by an organ or a piano and a choir. And we also sing songs as well. I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is the correct way to do a hymn singer, to do, you know, oral, oral worship 
uh, on a Sunday. But I would argue that hymns are generally more powerful and scriptural than most modern praise and worship songs are. And I feel like I say this a lot, but uh, comparisons between hymns and contemporary praise and worship really deserves its own conversation. So aside from praying and singing, we also hear from the word, preached, expository, and exegetic. By expository, I mean that our pastors lead us through a book of the Bible bit by bit. Sometimes that means he preaches on a single verse, unpacking the truth and the weight found in that one verse. Sometimes it means we take larger passages at a time. Currently, the church that I attend, uh, we are going through the Psalms uh, because you know it would take an entire decade to go through the Psalms bit by bit. He's only doing selected Psalms. By exegetic, I mean that our pastor gets into the original language and looks at what the other at what the author of the text was saying to the people of God then, and then how it can be applied to us now. Remember, the scriptures were breathed out by God and are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. It does no good to simply read a Bible passage, uh, you know, to open uh, the preacher's speech, and then just to hop all over Scripture, piecing together a quote-unquote sermon. God's Word was written by a living person, to a living person, or to living people in an actual historical context. The living spirit you know, imbibed them and sent them forward. So to do exegesis is to understand that foundational context. And then you bring that truth of Scripture to today's context. You know, all of these things are what we do together on the Lord's Day. But how does it apply to breathing together? Well, aside from the obvious communal aspect of worshiping together on Sundays, well, actually, no. You know, that, that's really the main point. You know, the author of Hebrews calls the called out ones to be careful to come together for worship and fellowship and to not be like those that neglect that beautiful expression of our new life, both individually and communally, grounded in Christ. We essentially need that community. We cannot effectively be the body of Christ if we hardly ever live in that community with the body. Now this may seem harsh to some. You know, they probably are thinking to themselves, I can have a perfectly meaningful relationship with Christ with minimal contact to my local church or my local congregation. Or, you know, I still have my Bible study time, whether that's a personal Bible study or a group Bible study. And I still pray. And I still sing songs, you know, to myself or maybe inside my house. I simply do not feel that connected to my church. And it's not comfortable being there among strangers. Let me first say, I get that. I truly do. The church that I've been mentioning that we worship at has had a very interesting decade of connection with my family. Not always the best, and arguably not always even with the best intentions from our side of the equation, at least. However, and please, dear listener, beloved in Christ, hear me say this with all, inser- all sincerity and care that I can through just listening to my voice. You, I, we need to be in fellowship with other believers. And that fellowship necessitates, it is necessarily including Sunday morning worship 
at the very least. I cannot think of a single instance in the New Testament where a New Testament author alludes to someone having a genuine or fulfilling faith in Christ and intentionally fellowships apart from the local body of Christ. You're missing out on true fellowship, on accountability, on mutual burden sharing, on corporate worship, on corporate edification and learning. I can go on and on. But let's focus on what breathing together means in terms of fellowship. Now, in Acts 2.42, we are told that the believers who kept the faith after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, quote-unquote, devoted themselves, among other things, to the fellowship. This word here, koinonia, speaks to an associate, a community, or a communion of people, to joint participation, an intimacy, something shared between those partnering together as comrades and companions. This was more than just golfing buddies or Bible study bros. This was intentional. This was personal. This was ultimately biblical. Fellowship is something that believers are all but explicitly commanded to do together. And that fellowship is to extend beyond the passing hellos at church in the hallway. If we consider how to combine the concept of breathing detailed in this series within Christian fellowship, we see a whole new world of connectivity available to us. Those grounded in Christ have a connection that goes well beyond anything this world can offer. It transcends ethnicity. It transcends socioeconomics. It transcends politics and so many other worldly divisions. Yet, often we find ourselves nearly purposefully dividing over those things. What would fellowship together over a meal, over a prayer and a reading and discussion of God's word do to our relationships within the body of Christ? Brothers and sisters, dear listeners, breathe together with those who share the Lord's Supper with you. Fellowship can be had in many different ways. Grilling out, playdates with kids and hanging out as parents, meals after church together, whether in a restaurant or at a house, one-on-one -on -one chats, and then other times together. If you, like me, indulge in an adult beverage or a cigar or a pipe within moderation and consideration of the weaker brother, well, do so with a brother or sister in Christ. Don't just do it alone. We need to be more intentional as believers to seek out and sustain, it's key, healthy relationships and friendships with those in Christ. To dive deeper into what fellowship or breathing together looks like, I challenge you, you who are listening, to ponder that in your life. How can you seek genuine Christian fellowship? And then the challenge is to go and do it. So with that, I conclude officially this series on life grounded in Christ, living as a Christian. I hope that it's encouraged you, that it's convicted you, and it's sent you to the cross and to his word. Let me know in any kind of comments on any of my platforms, whether it's here on the podcast or over at Substack or on social media. Let me know what you think. If you have any ideas for other topics or series you think that would be beneficial to cover, you know, I, I do this grounded series, this grounded thing, to challenge myself and to scratch the itch of the teaching and preaching that I enjoy to do. I'm uh, not in a place to do at the moment. 
And all of these things are kind of working together to hopefully work towards a book considering uh, the fruit of the Spirit, considering sanctification and how we live as Christians. And so Grounded is just a great way for me to uh, challenge myself and then also to dive into God's Word regularly. So I, I do hope and I pray that this has been a beneficial series. I hope to hear from you. And with that, have a good rest of your day. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Grounded. I pray that in this short time, God has used me to encourage and convict you, to help you as the Spirit grounds each of us more and more into the person of Jesus Christ. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. Grounded also has an accompanying Instagram account and a Substack if you're interested in getting more content or just getting it in a different way. As always, have a blessed day and I look forward to talking again soon.